Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable, your end-of-the-week sports update on all things MSU. Right now, I'm live from Impact Station at Holden Hall on MSU's campus with Cam McLaren, Impact Sports Broadcast Assistant and Football Reporter. How are we doing today, Cam? Pretty good. It's honestly just a great day to end the week on, a Friday. You always love Fridays, so. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to get into a little women's soccer, men's soccer, and volleyball before we talk about that disappointing football game over the weekend. Um, but I'd like to start with women's soccer, as over the weekend they beat Illinois 3-zip off a Lauren DeBow hat trick, coming off a previous Cameron Evans hat trick, so two hat tricks in a row. And with that performance, Lauren was named Big Ten Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week. The team's very hot going into Big Ten play. They now sit at 6-1-2 and two on the season. How, how are we feeling about them, Cam? To me, after watching this team for the past two years, this is almost like a national championship caliber team or bust. It's it's natty or bust, essentially, at this point. I mean, the team's played very well. There, there are few games that they didn't play super well. The, at, the game they played at Cincinnati, rain delays throughout that entire match, ended up with a nil-nil draw. And then the one loss against, or one of their few losses against Arkansas, nationally ranked at the time, the number 11 team in the country, a 1-0 loss. They, I'm pretty sure Arkansas scored in the final five minutes of that game, and that's something that soccer coaches hate, is giving up goals late in the half or early in the half. And that's something that Jeff Hostler has really talked to this team about, because as you said, Cam Evans getting that hat trick against number 19 Colorado to really kind of kickstart this swing of momentum going into Big Ten play, and then that 3-0 scoreline. I mean, Lauren DeBeau, there's not much that you, that you can't say about her. She's just a, a one-woman wrecking force at the moment. She's played so well this entire year, scoring a hat-trick in, I believe, under 13 minutes coming off the bench at halftime, which is just remarkable. It's 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 pretty much the same thing that Huang Min Song did uh, for Tottenham over the weekend as well. So, um, in the in the English Premier League. So, to be honest, this is really just a team that looks like it's got that caliber to make a few splashes in the Big Ten, especially going into the Big Ten tournament later on this year, and possibly you know beating those Michigans, beating those Rutgers, those Penn States of the women's soccer world. Yeah, you watched the Arkansas game earlier in the season, and you were like, this team, it has something to them. And then they come back, they do a drawless or a scoreless draw against Oakland and everybody was frustrated with that very disappointing and then all of a sudden you turn around you played Colorado who is nationally ranked at home and they just take it to them and then do the same thing at Illinois going into Big Ten play so you got to feel good about this team going forward yeah and a lot of their victories against some of these other opponents you take a look the 7-0 over Central at home you take a look the 4-1 over Dartmouth which mind you in that game the one goal that Kozel gave up was just a completely defensive lapse in the, along the back four, and she was not happy about giving up that goal, having that shutout streak. But really, this is a team that can score, and this is a team that doesn't allow goals. That's why Lauren Kozel is one of the best players in the country, and that's what that's who you want to have guarding between the sticks if you're Michigan State and if you want to make a run towards the NCAA tournament. Exactly. <clears throat> now moving on to the men's side of things. Uh, they played Washington last Friday. They lost 4-1, to one, but Washington is top five in the country, so there's not a lot of shame in that. But they scored first early in that one, but ultimately led to a four-goal onslaught by Washington. With the loss, they moved to 2-4-1 on the season and will play at Indiana tonight to open Big Ten play. Yeah, that this is just a team that screams no identity to it. 
I mean, you get your one of your two main centerpieces back in Jack Beck, who's taking a fifth year. You lose from Farai Mutatu to the MLS Super Draft. He's off doing bigger and better things. But this is really just a team that's still tr- struggling to find its stride halfway through the season going into the toughest stretch of play that they'll have at Indiana tonight, Tuesday against Michigan, Wisconsin at home a few days later on Sunday. That Those are games that are going to put them to the test. And mind you, this is just a team that's still struggling to find the back of the net. My, take away the Chicago State game, which, mind you, Chicago State's playing Division One soccer for, the, for only the second or third year since the 1980s. Wow. This is a team that just brought back its men's soccer program, and they still gave up a goal on a defensive miscue at the back. But in their past four matches... They've scored two goals if you take away the Chicago State game. One against Washington, one in the tie at Bowling Green, and then getting shut out against number 14, Akron, and against your in-state rival in Western. And now, mind you, Western Michigan's a very good team. Western Michigan has a chance to make some splashes in the MAC. Akron as well. That's a tough conference to play in for men's soccer. All those teams are very good. Then you look at Bowling Green. You get the draw. Cool. And then you follow it up with a Chicago State victory at home against a team that really has a few bits and pieces but just doesn't play well collectively in Chicago State. Then you go and you play Washington. Number four ranked team in the nation. Yes, Cromer gets the goal to start things off. Will Perkins is playing out of his mind offensively as a defender. But then you let in four straight goals. And now, mind you, you're going in tonight against Indiana, who's ranked, I believe, 15 or 16 going into this match and then you have Michigan at home, and then you have Wisconsin and Penn State. This is a grueling stretch for Damon Rensing's team, and to be honest, I don't know how they make it out of this with a win. That's just in my opinion, but you take you go through that Washington game, you let in four straight goals. That's just been the staple of Michigan State for the past two years. Mind you, their other win other than Chicago State came against Army, the season, the season opener. And that was a surprising victory for them. I did not believe that Michigan State was going to win that game at all. But they played better. They played bad in spurts, but they played just well enough. They played a good solid possibly 60, 65 minutes, which which was for them enough to win the game. Now it feels like at this point in the season, like you said, they don't really have an identity. You have four losses going into Big Ten play, only two wins. Now it kind of feels like you got to show us something. The team has to, you know, step up in some way to get at least one or two wins out of this next stretch. And really, your goal production has suffered massively without Farai Mutatu. Jack Beck's doing his best from the penalty spot. Same thing with Will Perkins, scoring from the penalty spot. Other than that, it's the freshmen in Spatafora and Gugamis. Other than that, there's rarely any production besides Cromer getting the one goal against Washington. The, The front line is playing as best as they can, but... You, you expect more with a senior or a graduate s- senior fifth year in Jack Beck to be able to distribute. It's just for some reason things aren't clicking. So for me, I don't really know how they go through this next stretch getting a victory. It's really they, they're going to have to claw their way against Indiana. They're going to have to do the same thing against Michigan just a few days later. Those are two back-to-back games that you don't want on your schedule. You would much rather have a non-con or maybe a lower-level Big Ten team to play against. But in the Big Ten, in in men's and women's soccer, they are cracked at soccer. (laughs) This is a tough conference to play in. And I I was thinking about it this morning. The Big Ten 
does not have or rarely has a sport that they're not good at in. The Big Ten is good in football. It's good in men's soccer, women's soccer, ice hockey, women's ice hockey. I mean, of course, they play in the the, the Western Collegiate Hockey League or the Western Collegiate Hockey Association. Most of the Big Ten teams that you would see, like your Ohio States, your Minnesotas will play in that league. But they're just so good. Big Ten schools are good at a lot of things. So it's really hard to find a sport where you can get those talent differentials like you see in Big Ten football where you know, you're not so high up on a Northwestern football as you are as a Northwestern women's soccer. Very true. So moving on to another team that has been making waves besides the women's soccer team is volleyball. Um, over the weekend, they swept green and white classic against Oakland, Chicago State, and Evansville, moving to 9-2 and two on the season. Leah Johnson's off to a very hot start. Um, and tonight they'll start Big Ten play like most other teams are against Nebraska on the road. So Leah Johnson... Can't say enough about her in the start for women's volleyball. No, this has really been a dream start for them. I mean, coming back off of those two losses to North Carolina and Duke, North Carolina getting swept, but going up against Duke, losing a five-set thriller only by five points in the fifth set, and then you come back at home, you come back to Breslin, you only drop one set out of nine on the weekend against decent competition in Oakland, Chicago State, and Evansville. And it really rested on this the service, the service rotation for Michigan State. Neil O'Kerr, I believe, had 13 straight serves in the final set against Evansville. And it was tough to watch because I, I'm pretty sure in those, in those 13 serves, she had four or five aces because just the way that she was able to put just ball placement right in front of the middle blockers, right in, right to the left of the outside hitters. There's just nowhere for there was nowhere for Evansville to go. They couldn't get a read on the ball. So for Michigan State to come home just completely obliterate their competition and then use that as kind of a stepping stone going into Big Ten play, especially going to Nebraska tonight. That's gonna be a really tough test for Leah Johnson and her squad. But this, that's something that you want, especially out of a first-year head coach at, at Michigan State. You want to be able to say, hey, look, our non-conference schedule was decent at best. It's just, it's, Leah Johnson said it was the non-con schedule that she was dealt with. She had, no, she had no say in this schedule. Otherwise, you maybe would see some of those higher-ranked volleyball teams and volleyball, or volleyball universities on this non-con schedule. But there's a confidence boost that comes with only dropping one set out of 10 on the weekend. Exactly. Um, moving on to, we got to talk about it, the football game over the weekend. I Speaking for all the fans out there, it was just dis- very, very disappointing. But um, there, were some, there were some silver linings. We'll get to those later. But first I want to start with the Washington quarterback, Michael Penix, as we all know, the former Indiana transfer. And every time he laced it up against – MSU at Indiana it seemed like he would always you know give us trouble but he definitely did that again over the weekend threw for about 400 yards and four touchdowns and we'll get to the defense we'll get to the secondary but I just wanted to talk about his day and how you thought he looked against Michigan State he looked like a cheat code it just looked like anything that he did was made of gold and I mean mind you the few fourth down stops that Michigan State had were because of run plays they weren't in Penix's hands. If Penix throws in the first quarter when Washington's down at the two, 
they throw, you know, three to the right with the one slot receiver running a five-yard out, not even a five-yard out, just a straight flood route, or if they go to each to each side, play action, run the running back out to the flat, it's 14 nothing easily at that point yep. for Washington. But Michigan State stops them. But Michael Penix, just an absolute cheat code. Every single time he's played against Michigan State, it's not even just that he, when he plays against Michigan State, he's just always been that quarterback that you want, especially I whenever he was at Indiana. He's a big, bulky guy. He can run the ball when he needs to, but he's a good pocket passer as well. He's good on the run. He's exactly what you want, and not enough people give him credit. And when he torches a Michigan State team that, mind you, tradition says that Michigan State defenses are one of the best in the country— and he torches you through the air for 404 touchdowns, that screams warning signs for anybody that bleeds green and white, but that also raises some ears for everybody in draft talk because Michael Penix is a very, very good quarterback, and I did not give him enough credit going into Saturday's game. He definitely can sling it, and it was looking like he couldn't miss out there for a while. In the third quarter, it seemed like he kind of cooled off, but he kept it going most mostly throughout the game. Um, but... Talking about the secondary, some of these some of these throws might have been a little too easy for him because his receivers just had so much separation coming off. I mean, you look at a guy like Chester Kimbrough who made the move to nickel this year. He started off the first two games of the season. He looked pretty decent. He was making some tackles, not giving up too many big plays And because we were used to seeing that out of him last year against teams like Ohio State and Michigan. And then this game, they just started picking on him, and it just wasn't pretty. No, that's what you call I mean, that's what you get when you don't have guys that can play press coverage and you're playing the soft zone. I mean, I remember back in high school, I used to just berate my head coach. Meanwhile, I was upstairs or up in the stands with the band saying, why are we playing a 4-2-5 with a blood safety? What's the blood safety going to do? Nothing. We don't have a good pass rush. Therefore, the blood safety is just taking up another lineman and you leave the middle of the field wide open. We got torched on third downs. We get we could put teams in third and ten, third and fifteen. We'd give up first downs because the tight end would just tight end or slot receiver right up the middle of the field for 15, 20 yards. But for Michigan State, it's just for some reason there's it, I don't understand how it could get worse than last year because it looked worse it did. than last year on Saturday against Washington. It's just mind-boggling. I mean, you see all the people with the surrender cobra, you know, hands up, hands behind their head because. It's third and seven, and these receivers, especially on the outside, are wide open. Exactly. How does this happen? And you don't know whether it's you know the the, the guys on the field, or you don't know if if it's just a defensive game plan. But like, to me, it's, it's just kind of like it's not necessarily a lack of leadership, maybe a lack of accountability, or maybe just it's just a lack of discipline in following the game plan, following fundamentals. I mean, there's just too many factors. I mean, you take a look at what Tucker said in the press conference afterwards or on Monday of, you know, he takes it personal because he's a DB guy. He coaches the DBs. So I don't know how you can go from being dead last to being even worse and looking like that on on Saturday. And it, it doesn't help that Xavier Henderson, the captain of the defense and the secondary was out for that game. But I do want to highlight one of the only bright spots of that secondary and I want to give him his credit, is Kendall Brooks. That guy has stepped in for Xavier Henderson, and I believe, I know he has three forced fumbles under the season, but I believe one has come in every game, and you had that goal line forced fumble that we were talking about during that stop, and he just seems like he's always in the right spot, 
delivers the hit, and I just wanted to highlight what he's done so far this year. I just wish Kendall Brooks would pick his head up a little bit sometimes because there's a few plays where you look and you're like, if that's, you know, three inches higher, that's a target. Yeah, he plays dangerous. He plays on the gray line. And I want, also wanted to give Washington some credit because there was a lot of factors that it seemed like, guys, Tucker said that the scheme was put, like, it, there was no scheme issues. It was just, it was a lot of different things going into it. But Washington's offensive game plan, the way they use motions and spread out the field, and that's, you mentioned that tight ends would be wide open down the seam for 15, 20 yards. And I could, I can only imagine because MSU just looked lost on defense because of all the they would spread guys out, they would motion guys back and forth, and it just seemed like MSU had really no idea what was coming out of them. And you saw like one of the touchdowns, you had Cal Halliday twenty yards downfield covering a tight end, which you don't normally see him all the way out there doing. So they, I would, I want to give my props to Washington as well for a solid offensive game plan, especially in a four-two-five. Why is one of your linebackers down twenty yards down the field? Exactly. Exactly. They really they they picked MSU apart. And also on the another underrated part of the game for Washington was the line on both sides. It seems MSU could not get a running game going. Broussard had that uh, safety early after that stop, which you know downplayed a lot of the momentum. Um, Berger couldn't really get going, and then it seemed like the offensive and defensive line just. I mean, there was no pass rush generated credited to offense to Washington's game plan. But it's still the lines for both sides for Washington just absolutely ate MSU up. Yeah, I, I believe MSU only had 47 rush yards. And, you know, maybe it's different with, you know, a Kenneth Walker in the backfield. You don't nece- you never necessarily had to win the line of scrimmage with Kenneth Walker. And, you know, a lot of coaches would say otherwise. You could get a little push. But with K- with Kenneth Walker in the backfield, any play could be a big play. Yep. But with Berger and Broussard, you, you need to have some force some you know bulldozing ability to at least push a a guy one maybe two yards down the field give them a chance to make a play give them a chance to get their legs actually moving because as soon as that safety happened it's almost it's a slap in the face to the offensive line because that's your job is okay your defense won you the ball now you go and you push these guys 98 yards down the field and you score because your defense gave you that opportunity. They did what they needed to do. You give up a safety, that hurts. As a former lineman myself, that hurts. That's demoralizing. And it seemed like after that, that was the changing that was the turning point in that first half because the second half was completely night and day. Yeah. Exactly. Difference. But that first half, it just it seemed like the air just was sucked out of every Michigan State player. On that field, it, they just looked bewildered. They looked shook. It was like when Michigan gave gave up all of those points late in the second quarter to Michigan State to make that a, a tight game last year. But on the defensive side, Jacoby Winman was non-existent, and that's a credit to Washington's game plan. And it's also kind of a little bit of a reality check for Michigan State's defense of, hey, you lost Xavier Henderson and Darius Snow in the first game of the year. Your guys are getting picked apart. You know you can't trust the secondary, and you're making you have to make those in-game adjustments. You have to say screw this, and you have to make a play, because when you take a look at the film against Western and you take a look against Akron, you can maybe attribute one, two, maybe three sacks on coverage sacks, but it really just was Jacoby Winman. Just one and one on ones. And it's it, that's not going to happen against the Pac-12 offensive line. And you, if you think that's going to happen against a Michigan. Wisconsin, 
or even like there you say it in Ohio State, that's not going to happen. You need your secondary to help out your your D line, and you need your D line to help out your secondary. They got to play, as Tucker likes to say, complimentary football. And it didn't help that Jacob Slade was out for this one. The big, you know, the big D tackle in the middle that usually that gives you know Simeon Barrow and Derek Carmen breaks. And I mean, the defensive line just looked gassed. They were running on us when they when their running game isn't their strength, and they were doing it well. They were picking us apart through the air. They're they just all, all together, it was just not a pretty performance. Um, but I wanted to talk about some silver linings. Peyton Thorne coming in had some questions. This He was arguably the biggest question mark coming into the game. Um, he didn't start the season out very hot. He was missing targets. And you learn before, right before the game that there's going to be no Jane Reed. So you're like, okay, Thorne, you got to show us something. And he did. He threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. And he looked collected, calm in the pocket, and just overall had a solid day. Yeah, and it really was just the kind of Keon Coleman coming out party because I believe in the the Western and the Akron games combined, Thorne to Coleman was just non-existent. It just was not working. Thorne to Reed was good. Thorne to Trey Mosley. Thorne to Christian Fitzpatrick. I mean, he's hitting guys left and right, Malik Carr. But finally, you got to see that connection of, okay, you had Naylor and you had Reed last year. Now you have Reed and you have Coleman. Then you maybe have a few of those other guys, you know, your Trey Mosley's, your your Malik Cars. So it's really just about getting the confidence and the timing correct on those routes between Keon and Peyton. Now, mind you, the, the, the passing game plan was just not the best either. I mean, yes, Keon has nine for over 100 and two touchdowns. Great. But when there was no running attack, you're forced to just say, you know what, screw it. Somebody's down there somewhere. Exactly. And that's what happened on one of Thorne's picks was you immediately get that fourth down stop down way in your own end, and your next play is a fly out to Coleman, and it's just picked off immediately, just not a very good decision. So Thorne played better than he had played against Western and Akron, but still some of the decision-making slightly questionable. You don't throw that ball. On a one-on-one with with a or almost a one-on-two, when the safety's about to just breathe down your throat, because either a Keon makes that catch and gets lit up, or b it gets picked off, because c is that ball was never going to ca- get caught anyways. Exactly. But I did want to mention Keon Coleman coming out in a big way, like you said, nine catches over 100 yards, two touchdowns, and that one that his first touchdown just was to me just was incredible the way he. Kind of, he even like it looked like he tackled Tyler Hunt go, coming back to the ball and somehow made a play on it. And I was just, I couldn't be more impressed with his day, stepping up in a big way without Reed. Oh yeah, and that's what you need whenever you have your your some of your offensive starters out. You need somebody to step up, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, and he's only a sophomore too, so hopefully a lot more of those in the future. But just overall recap in the game, just very disappointing defense. They need to figure it out. Tucker said there were there will be personnel changes coming soon, so I'm interested to see how exactly he means by that and what's going on. And I know there's a lot of people coming out there for coming out for Hazelton and saying he some he needs to step up, and which is in my opinion is true. But I just I'm interested to see what he means by personnel changes. I can only speculate that you know there's got to be somebody in that receiving room that can play DB. Exactly. 
I mean, you know, the 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 honest nature is, you know, defensive backs are just receivers that can't catch. Yep. So there's got to be somebody out there. There has to be. There's got to be some competition. But moving forward, we've got Minnesota this Saturday at three thirty. The team, Michigan State, rightfully so, moved out of the AP poll after that performance. They, I don't think they deserve to be in the top twenty-five after that. But right now, minute the line is currently favoring Minnesota by two and a half. It's the first game of the of Big Ten play for I believe both Michigan State and Minnesota. Um, but Minnesota recently lost their top receiver Chris Autumn Bell. But they're still three and zero, and they they have not really played anyone so anyone yet. So this will kind of be their first test. So this game, kind of a lot of unknowns coming in. There really is, and for Michigan State, it really is. I'm not gonna say explicitly a hundred percent that this is a must win game, but if you want to make a bowl game, this really is your biggest test. I mean, you take a look at Minnesota. Be on New Mexico State. I feel bad for them. <laughs> Western Illinois, 62-10. to 10, And then they beat Colorado. Colorado is hurting at the moment. Yeah. Most of the Pac-12 is hurting. Exactly. But Colorado is, ex- is especially hurting. But for MSU, I mean, you take a look at the rest of the schedule. You are 2-1 heading into Minnesota. You play Minnesota. Then you go to Maryland, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan. That's a tough October. That is a terrible October. Yeah. If if you lose to Minnesota, you maybe beat Maryland. That's your third win. I mean, Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana, Penn State to finish off the year. You need six wins. Penn State at Happy Valley to end the year. If that's what you need for a sixth win, you're in trouble. Exactly. Because if they drop Minnesota and they drop Ohio State and Wisconsin, you're going into the Michigan game with three wins and playing Illinois- Rutgers, Indiana, and Penn State. Now, mind you, for some reason, I mean, you take a look at last year, Michigan State played Nebraska to overtime. Yeah. I mean, you're talking saved a lot of... Saved by Jaden Reed. Yeah. Saved by Jaden Reed. I mean, you... If that's how your season's going to be, you're really going... This is a almost a must-win game. And it's at home after a crushing loss to a Pac-12 opponent. Now, mind you, Michigan State hadn't beaten a Pac-12 opponent at home since 2015 i believe is what it was it was it's it's been a long time the big 10 does not have a lot of success against the pac-12 especially in the pac-12 unless you're ohio state playing utah last year which we don't you don't need to get in the weeds of that we know how that went but this really is going to be a a test for michigan state it's going to be their biggest test so far because how do you bounce back against that loss how do you play a full 60-minute fo- football game? Because, mind you, in the past year and a half that I've really looked at this team, really seen this team, they have yet to play a full 60 minutes of football. That's, they re- they really true. have. They, take take yeah. a look at the Peach Bowl. I mean, that's your last game of the year. They did not play a full 60. Michigan, they for sure did not play a full 60. Nope. Ohio State, blown out of the water against that. Penn State, at times... Maybe the closest they got was that Penn State game. Maybe possibly 52, 55 minutes. But in reality, you're going to need a full 60 minutes of football from everybody that you have playing. Because if there's personnel changes coming and that's still not fixable, that's when the warning sirens need to go off. Because the flags have already been raised. But next up are the sirens. And I would much rather prefer the flags over the sirens. (laughs) Well... 
a lot of these questions will be answered tomorrow as the game, like I said, will be played at 3.30. Um, but I just want to say thank you, Cam, and everyone else for listening for another edition of Sports Roundtable. We'll see you next Friday.